Hi, this is Kev Legs Walker, and you are about to hear a podcast of an interview that appeared on Shades of Blues here on The Cat. And there will be plenty more as we delve into the archives. Sit back and enjoy. In my continuing quest to bring you blues from around the world, we're now going up to Scotland where we meet Dave Arcali. Dave, are you well? I'm good, thanks, man. What about you? I'm, I'm bearing up well. I'm few aches and pains, but you get that as you get older, but hey-ho. <laughs> um, no, Tell you, me about it. <laughs> <laughs> your surname, is that of Italian descent? It is, yes. Um, my dad was born in Glasgow in 1908, and his parents had only just come to Scotland a year or two before he was born. So I guess I'm a He's a third-generation Italian, Scottish-Italian. Right. So, on your travels, when you're playing festivals and stuff, have you played in Italy? That's a good question, and it's very strange, but Italy is one of the few places in Europe, or wider even, that I haven't played for some reason. So, is it on your bucket list, then? I guess so. It's um, it's funny. A lot when I first started out doing the solo stuff, my wife Margaret deals with all my bookings. At the beginning, you know, we were just trying to pursue whatever we could. But latterly, well, pre-COVID anyway, it got to the point where we were really going where we were asked to go, and uh, you know, it just always seemed that we have been concentrating an awful lot in the USA for the last eight or nine years. Um, Sometimes I think it's maybe been to the to the to the detriment of of UK and Europe, but I like to think we get a wee bit of a balance going. But it's um, it's difficult. Sometimes we feel we're trying to go in about five directions at once. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say in the notes that I've got, it says that you well since 2013, I think you've been to America every year at least once a year. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes two or three times. Uh, Festivals, showcases, South by Southwest, um, and just general touring. So it's uh, it's been a you know we've been working quite hard to sort of develop that that market. It's, it's bizarre that you would think that it would be like trying to sell snow to Eskimos, but I think the fact that I've taken blues-based music and kind of let's say a polite way of describing it would be to say turned it inside out, yeah. <laughs> sell it back, sell it back to them. And they've gone for it. <laughs> well, you do have a, a, a sort of unique performing style as well, don't you? I, I would I would agree. And it's funny because that initially when I started out, that was something I thought was a, was a disadvantage. Basically, it came about just by an absolute inability to, to copy anything or to learn anything. So I basically had to just find my own way of doing things. And at the beginning, it did seem to be a bit of a disadvantage, but as time has gone on, that's absolutely turned round, and it's really become a positive advantage um, because I suppose it differentiates you from the crowd, and it might be a little bit like Marmite, but, hey, nobody wants to be bland. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hate making comparisons because I like to take everybody as an individual and music as individual, but... Your style is very much to someone who has praised you highly, C6 Steve. Yeah, a, a, a little bit. There, there's certainly some some similarities. I think in the, especially in when you know before Steve broke through 
when he was uh, living in, in Sweden and certainly the stuff he did with the Level Devils. And even the first album that got licensed out to Warner, Doghouse Music, it was all still quite raw and there was a lot of sort of bottlenecky kind of stuff. And I guess there's there's quite a lot in common um, along along these lines for sure, yeah. One description of you in the notes is hell-raising national guitar madman. Do you, <laughs> do you embrace that, or does that make you cringe? Uh, no, I, I I I embrace it wholeheartedly. I mean, it's interesting that you see. I mean, people often don't really like comparisons and stuff, but in a way, they're kind of important to give somebody a picture of what what the music's like. I mean, somebody once said that uh, you're like a. a a, a combination of Lenny, Johnny Cash, and Billy Connolly, <laughs> and I was I, I, I was I was thrilled with that because they're all people that I, I admire. So what what could be better? And I I think yeah, Hell Raising National Guitar. What was Hell Raising National Guitar? guitar madman. Madman. Well, yeah. well, I raise hell wherever I can. <laughs> I play national guitars, and I'm ever so slightly round the twist. <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably true. <laughs> With um, a wink, of course. So, this style that you've developed, is that since you've gone solo, or is that going way back to the days of Summerfield Blues? Mm, kind of, well, Summerfield Blues, when I started Summerfield Blues, that was when I first started really messing about with, with bottleneck guitar. But I was playing electric guitar uh, in an open E tuning, and I was playing with a, with a plectrum. So, I hadn't, I hadn't really explored... For me, pre-war Delta Blues was something a bit unachievable or unattainable at that point because, not least because all the recordings were so cranky and hissy and noisy that you could never tell what was going on anyway. Mm. Um, and there was no internet back in these days, so you, you were usually, it was a copy of a copy of a copy of a cassette recorded badly. When I discovered bottleneck guitar for real and I started trying to mess about and, and combine it with some, some sort of form of finger style or finger picking, which developed into that sort of half-picking, half-strumming, half-slashing kind of style that I suppose I have now. Um, I kind of probably radio to um, some of your blues had come to an end, but then I'd started trying to do some solo stuff, and a harmonica player at one of the gigs asked if I had ever thought about playing with a harmonica player. And we did a couple of gigs as a duo, uh, which was probably more akin to what I'm doing now, although it was mostly covers. And we realised it was quite difficult to get gigs as a duo, so we turned it into a trio, and Radio Tones was born. Radio Tones went through an acoustic trio and became in a full electric lineup, and then I decided that you know I didn't really so much decide it just it just I just kind of evolved into doing things solo more and more and more. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about Radio Tones because I was just doing a bit of scouring before I came to do the interview. And I saw on one of their albums, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Is that the Alice Cooper one? <laughs> no, actually, it's not. It's funny you, you mention that because I'd, I'd never uh, come across the Alice Cooper song until long after that album was released. And I realised that, that, that <laughs> it's, actually, it's a song. And I think at that time I, I was driving along the road and uh, I don't know, I think I maybe suffered a bout of road rage, and I thought, you know, bah, uh, I, I'm, I'm always like the nice guy. I'm not I'm not being the nice guy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it's, as usual, it's, it's an incident or something 70s 
sets things going round and round in your head, and, and when I got home, I just kind of churned out that song. But you know, I, could, I can't even remember what that how that song goes now. <laughs> I, think, I think it really almost in the days when you used to try and do filler tracks for us. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I will try to find it. Like you say, in the world of the internet, you can find anything. So I will try to find that. Um, but uh, you talk about gaining inspiration from events and surroundings and stuff. You live on the shores of Loch Lomond, so has that inspired music in you, or do you try to steer away from that kind of thing? Well, it is an absolutely beautiful place to be. I'm sitting on the loch side as we speak. Uh, the, only, the only downside, really, is the midges. Yeah. But um, that's another story. Um, whoa, that is, it's a difficult question. It's a good question. It's a difficult question. I, it doesn't inspire me from the point of view... It doesn't inspire me lyrically. Because I try, I tend to stay away from that kind of schmaltzy kind of. Oh, the hills are my home. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was just thinking of the uh, Billy Connolly sketch. Oh, the misty blue hills of Teddy. Come out like that, you yeah. know. <laughs> so, uh, but what it certainly does, it creates a, a frame of mind, and it puts you in a in a creative place every day. I mean, you know, either go for a. a, a, a we've got a. Conic Hill is right outside the back door, which is a fantastic hill. It's part of the Highland Boundary Fault Line. So you can stand, basically here, you can stand with one one foot in the Highlands and one foot in the Lowlands. Uh, so there's walks, you know, I'll either go up the hill or I'll take a walk up the loch side. Or, you know, before we spoke, I had to go to the village to pick up a prescription. And, you know, it was a 16-mile round trip off piste on the mountain bike. Mm. Uh, yeah. So it's good it's good from from a, a kind of mental and, and psychological point of view, you know, it's a, it's a it's a very calming kind of place where you can think, you know, and you can just do what you feel like and not feel that you're being rushed or suppressed or hassled or whatever. Well, is that what sort of brought about uh, Whiskey Trail? Because that's been described as showing a mellower side of your style. A very mellow side. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, some of my more mellow songs are definitely uh, on the banjo. Whiskey Trail has got a story slightly un- unusual to the, a lot of the other songs that I've, I've written and recorded in that I had a... I, I do a, our local distillery, Glengoyne, is about six or seven miles away. And I've had a great partnership with them, going right back to what about 2015, um, taking their taking whiskey on tour, and they've been, you know, sort of helping with launch events and providing whiskey and all. They did a special bottling for my live album, so they've been really, really good. Uh, and now it's their sister company, Smokehead, who have kind of gravitated to or been palmed off on. <laughs> <laughs> but their their ethos is probably much. Much, uh, much more akin to my own. But anyway, back to the the Glen Goyne thing. I, they asked me one World Music Day. They asked if I would go to the distillery and record a video of a song that I'd written called "Whiskey in My Blood," which we did. But the powers that be, I think, felt that that song didn't quite embody sensible drinking. Mm. So uh, we we still did it, <laughs> and it, it was it, it worked. Uh, it worked well for for both me and for the distillery. But it kind of got me thinking, I thought, I'd quite like to try and put together a song that that they would be, at a corporate level, they might be happy to, to use for things. So uh, Whiskey Trail basically tells the story of Glen Goyne 
and and a lot of it reflects a lot of its brand values. It doesn't mention Glengoyne. It doesn't really say as much anywhere. But that's what it's that's what it's based on. It kind of mirrors a lot of their brand values and stuff. So <laughs> that was where that came from. I was saying at the top of the interview that I'm trying to demonstrate just how international the blues is by talking to people all over the world. And there are some people who try to introduce their ethnic music into the blues. Have you tried to do that with Scottish music? Uh, not really intentionally, but in some respects that has, that's kind of happened. Um, one of the things about phew, well, 2007, I think it was, I keep saying a couple of years ago, and then I realised that 2007 was like nearly 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, it was it was the year of homecoming, which was uh, 300 years since the Act of Union between Scotland and England. And our national poet, Rabbi Burns, had written a poem called Parcel of Rogues, which was basically about the... The rogues actually were the Scottish monarchy and, and glitterati selling out to England for gold. And that was where the Act of Union kind of came from. So it's like an anti-traitor song and that rogues are actually Scottish folk. <laughs> um, anyway, the BBC asked if I would take this Burns poem, turn it into a David Carey song, <laughs> which made me laugh. And uh, I did that. And then it, it transpired that it became the, the focus of a half-hour documentary where I kind of presented the thing and went around and interviewed various key Scottish historians, politicians and musicians and we, and, and pieced together the, the song through that. Um, and subsequently, year, a year later, there was a, a big fancy-ass um, show in Glasgow uh, to celebrate the year of homecoming. And the guy that was putting it together was a, a complete Robert Burns guru. I think he was a professor at Glasgow University. Somebody had recommended me to him, but everybody else on the bill were, they were all like kind of proper musicians and stuff. And then me. And he said, I want you to come and play a couple of songs at this thing. And I said, well, have you heard the rest of my stuff? <laughs> <laughs> so he suggested, he said, well, I've, I've got an idea. I'd like you to do the same thing that you did with Parcel of Rogues with another Robert Burns poem. And he... I, I, about three days later, in the, in the post, in the mail, I got this this letter, and he'd written out um, Macpherson's Lament. It's also sometimes known as Macpherson's Rant. Um, so I basically did the same thing with that, which then got, I think, that... Did it, was it on an album at the time? No, but I think I did some a session with Keris on Six Music, uh, and she for Burns to celebrate Burns Day and she also wanted an on-air slide guitar lesson so we did that um, and one other thing I guess that's kind of a bit, bit Scottishy uh, is that for oh, album number five I think Nobody's Fool uh, I released on, re released by Dixie Frog I licensed it to this French record label and when we were talking about it the, the guy who runs the label had originally wanted to license my second album I said, well, I don't know there's much point in that because it's such a niche form of music that you know, most people who are into that kind of stuff already know who I am and have already made up their minds whether they like me or not or like my music or not. So there's probably not an awful lot of extra value in that. You know, it's probably done all it's going to do, no matter who releases it. So I suggested that he maybe picked some songs from the first three albums and I would re-record them and would put it out as a kind of, kind of some sort of group compilation with um, different versions of songs and a few new ones and some band lineup and what have you. 
So he did that and he came back to me and said, oh, great, this is all good. Um, could, could you do a Scottish song? Perhaps Loch Lomond. And I was like, oh, mamma mia. No, please, no. But anyway, I, and, and the, the album the, the album had really all been recorded. But I've got a studio here and I, I thought, oh, just, just to, I thought, I'll record this and he's going to think it's crap and it'll, it'll have played, paid lip service to the request, but then he called my bluff and he loved it and it went on the record. <laughs> Um, and it, it's strange. A lot of people seem to really like this version of Loch Lomond that I did, and it, I, ca- I can't. I, I don't know what it is about it. I, I've, I've only attempted to play it live once, and I made an absolute mess of it. Um, I, I think I'm scared of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned Dixie Frog. Well, that, then. That, that's a that's a long answer to a very easy question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you mentioned Dixie Frog there, French record label, and uh, Whiskey in My Blood was released on a Finnish record label. What is it about it was, foreign, yes. foreign record labels? And have well, you ever thought of I mean, setting ge- up your own? Well, yes, absolutely. Um, generally, what happens is, I mean, I've always I started Buzz Records in 1993, and uh, you know, b- between 1993 probably and 2003, it, it was you know I released all sorts of stuff. And used it as a development label for some acts I was managing, and but really, when I started the solo stuff, particularly, it really became just a vehicle for my own recordings. But sometimes, uh, you know, if another label comes along and wants to release something, and they have um, perhaps better knowledge of a territory that I'm trying to develop in, um, you know, it, it can be it can be quite a good thing um, for a number of reasons to to have a record released in that territory by a label in that territory. Mm. Right. Just gives you an extra sort of level of penetration, as it were. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your collaboration with the, the Whiskey Distillery, and you've also collaborated with uh, National Resophonic Guitars, to the extent where you've got your own yeah. signature guitar, haven't you? Yeah. The, um, I, I, I'd been asked, I had a few West Coast America dates coming up at the beginning of 2019, and National invited me to uh, to be on their, well they call it a booth, but it's you know it's a massive trade stand at a music fair called um, the Nam Show. I think it's National Association of Music Merchants, something like that it stands for, and they have two big trade shows for musical instrument and music equipment manufacturers. They have a smaller one in Nashville in the summertime. And they have this huge one in LA or in Anaheim, just at the, on the edge of LA in, in winter, in January. And uh, I'd been to the, the summer NAM a few times, but National have never n- never go to that one. But they, they, they were at the, went to winter NAM and they asked if I would go along and hang out for a few days and just basically play guitars and demo stuff on the on the booth, which was very nice. There were lots of other people and players that I knew that were going to be there, some pals, Catfish Keith, Doug McLeod, Mike Dowling. Oh, it was, it was a good, um, it was good crack. Anyway, about two or three days into the thing, um, Margaret, my wife, had gone away to get coffees or something, and I, I'm standing talking to the, the president of National. And he's, I mean, I've had a long relationship with National. The, 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 all, all my main guitars have, you know, we've kind of developed custom things and tried things out and beta tested things. So I've not, and I've been an artist dealer for National for, for a long time. But the president stands stroking his chin and says, no, I've been thinking we should really do a David Carey signature model. 
And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so that was that. And Margaret came back with the coffees. I said, you'll never guess. They want to do an Davis Carey signature model. And she said, what did you say? And I said, nothing. I couldn't speak. <laughs> so, well, uh, I mean, you're the first went, and only musician outside the US to be honoured in that way. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think that there are a couple of models that are kind of not signature models, but are associated with other players. So yeah, it's quite a it was quite a a bizarre thing from this 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 wee guy from Glasgow that plays with one finger getting <laughs> getting this honour bestowed on them, and we we launched the the guitar was uh, the beta the first one off the line was in in summer two thousand nineteen so we did a wee tour launching the guitar and we launched the the model at a special special show in California and mm. at the Siren in Morro Bay in California so that was a that was a that was a highlight. I have to say. Well, like we say, you go to America or have been to America on numerous occasions. So does it still hold the same charm as when you first went? Um, yeah, it does. It, it's, um, it's a funny thing. I was chatting with somebody the other day and they were saying, well, where's your favourite place? It, it's, do you know, it's no better or no worse than than any anywhere else. It, it, I, I really enjoy, I mean, it's a good market for me. I have a strong following in certain parts of the states but it's no I, I don't think it's necessarily any better in any way than than any than, than, than Scotland or England or Scandinavia Europe you know I, so, it's the novelty of touring certainly has never worn off <laughs> did you see your first trip as like a pilgrimage to the home of the blues um not really actually because we weren't going on the first trip. You know, we didn't really go to the deep south. The, the furthest south we were was Nashville, right. um, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and I didn't really think of it as that. Um, subsequent trips, yes, actually. Uh, especially was one year where there was a South by Southwest showcase that started the tour in California and went all through, uh, sorry, Florida. I started in Florida and went through Georgia, um, Louisiana, Mississippi, New Orleans, and all the way into Texas. That that was probably that that was probably a trip where I I, I was most had the most kinship with with blues, as it were, because I I still have this thing in the in, at the side of you know on one shoulder I've got the little blues angel, on the other shoulder I've got the little rock and roll devil. <laughs> He's telling me to pull the head off the angel. <laughs> then the angel's telling me to outdrink the devil. <laughs> I went on a, a Deep South coach tour years ago. And as we were heading towards Memphis, the cotton fields were just coming into bud. And you, you could see all the cotton. Oh, wow. And that just made me feel like I'm here now. This is it. I'm here. So I was just wondering whether you mm. had that kind of feel when you were touring around. I was probably too busy sleeping. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because generally we, 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 we travel by road because once we once we land in the States, the, the merch is all uh, you know, sorted out in the States. So the, the, by the time we land and we've got all the merch and the T-shirts, plus what we've taken from here, um, and all the instruments, and they also have some instruments that, that, that stay in New York. Um, and so once we were kind of loaded up, we, there's no way we can fly anywhere. Mm. So sometimes we're doing eight, ten, twelve thousand miles in a tour, 
Yeah. Um, so you tend to either be driving, when you're on the move, you're driving or sleeping. And uh, sadly, not getting an awful lot of time. Although, when you, now that you mentioned Memphis, we did have a, 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 a day off and a morning off in Memphis and, and went to the Civil Rights Museum, which really needed a whole day in itself. Mm, yeah. And we'd been, we'd been asked to go to the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by the, the curator there who then organised to take us round to um, Sun Studios and a bunch of stuff. So so we got to do some sightseeing and see some places then. But generally, uh, and you, even even when you're awake and, uh, and travelling, there's so much just trying to stay on top of emails, social media, bookings for when you get home. That, you know, you, it'd be nice to think that, oh, you, know, you could just soak it up and... But I'm usually too on edge. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would, it's when I get home actually. That's yeah. when it sinks in. Yeah, I used to be in the band myself years ago, and people see you on stage and it's all glamorous and stuff. They don't see the other side of it where you're humping the gear around at two or three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's bizarre that you know so many people don't you know don't realise that actually playing. I mean, I, I probably only I. Percentage of time spent writing songs and playing guitar is probably about two or three percent of my time, mm. um, and you know the the the, the gig is really that that's almost the, like the reward for all the hard work. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. the fun part. Uh, but yeah, people people think it's like, you know that's all you do. You just, I, I started a blog, a daily blog, about twelve years ago, and I, I do it religiously every day, and. Uh, I started it because I got sick of people saying to me, oh, well, you've not got any gigs for a while, so, you know, you want to go out here? Or go out? I said, well, I'm busy. How can you be busy? You've not got any gigs. And uh, I think they thought I was just sitting with my finger up my bum, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I basically started this blog as a way to try and let people see that what actually happens <laughs> in between times. The days of record companies and agents and management and everything doing things for you, if indeed they ever did, uh, have long gone. <laughs> well, I mean, you talk about the the tours of America and places like that. The logistics of pulling all that together must be horrendous. It's quite it's it's quite time consuming. Um, the worst part is the visas mm. um, because not only does it you know cost a good few grand every time, but it, it's you know you've got to really have your application in or your petition in like at least four months ahead of time and I usually go for a three year visa which means that they want an itinerary for three years they want to see contracts for all the gigs and all the trips you'll be doing to the States in that three year period and that takes a hell of a lot of work mm, yeah. <laughs> and it's also a little bit chicken and egg Yeah, um, very much chicken and egg actually because you know, without the visa how do you play the gigs and without the gigs how do you get the visa <laughs> yeah 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 and there's no guarantees that you're going to get the visa either. That's the that's the scary part of it. I mean, going off from that, obviously the the past twelve months have just put the mockers on everything. But you have been doing things online as well, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's strange. It's almost like been a, a period of reinvention. Um, the li- live streams. I don't know where we would have been without without live streaming. That's really the the generosity of folks that like my music and like what I do uh, I, I, I hesitate to call people fans because I almost feel that's a little bit kind of, I don't know Oh you're too modest But folk, folk, that are, folk that like the music and want to 
support have been incredibly supportive. Um, you know, buying tickets for online shows, donations on online shows. That ties in with the whiskey thing that you were talking about earlier. You've had whiskey nights, haven't you? Well, yeah, actually, I have one this evening. Um, through June, we've been doing the Smokehead sessions where we, uh, it's like a half hour live stream with a, a featured edition of Smokehead Whiskey, which I have the pleasure of drinking <laughs> and talking about. Um, I put together a specially curated set, a live set of songs for that edition of Smokehead. And I also have a wee, a wee competition every week so that somebody can uh, win a bottle of the featured whiskey. And then before that, we've done I've done a bunch of series, um, weekly series. I did one called Blues and Twos, which was a weekly two-person sort of interview come swapping songs over the table kind of live stream with people, I don't know, mostly from the States, but also from, from Ireland and Estonia and Finland and stuff as well. That was last summer. That went. That was very popular. I did one called Cooking Up the Blues, which was a 10-part series of me cooking a meal interspersed with music. Uh, then one called Tales from the Road, which was dug out some archive tour blogs and vlogs. And we had Tools of the Trade, which was featured a different instrument every week. So I've been trying to kind of keep things going and just have different content that's in- incorporating music, but not, not necessarily just like a, a concert live stream as such. You were saying that you have to plan ahead, but at the moment it's hard to do that because it changes virtually every day. So have you got gigs penciled in? It's very hard. Um, I have got three shows penciled in for the end of July, all all down south, or down south for me anyway, uh, Newcastle, Manchester and Liverpool at the end of July and it's funny, they've been reorganised two or three times since the beginning of lockdown. And uh, I just think it's hard to really put a lot of promotional effort into them because they might not happen. Mm. Uh, and the uncertainty is, is a bit scary. But I'm crossing my fingers that, you know, things will have kind of calmed down a little bit. I mean, Scotland announcing that, you know, there's a travel ban between Scotland and Manchester or Glasgow and Manchester or something. It's not... You know, it's not probably the, the kind of thing that I really want to hear. No, no. <laughs> but at the end but, of the day, you know, it, 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 it's safety and well-being come yeah. first. You know, the gigs, the gigs can can be played any time, I guess, in the future. And you were saying that you've got your own studio there. So, have you been doing recording in the time off? Um, yeah, I've had a few. Whatever I've had over the last year, I did done a couple of singles and an EP over the last year. Um, oh, and another single in February, March time. Uh, lots of ideas, lots of bits of things written down, and bits of you know, lots of uh, WAV files on the hard drive. <laughs> but um, haven't really. I've been so caught up a lot with a lot of the live streaming stuff and promoting the live streams um, that I, possibly to the, the detriment of writing and recording. But I do seem to have. I do feel like I've got lots of. Um, Lots of ideas for new songs floating about, so I, sh- I should really kind of get my act together and start getting them down. I've got no excuse, really. So there could be a new album by the end of the year or early next year? Yeah, I would say that's that's entirely possible. Um, to be honest, I don't know, but there's no real reason why not, other than I've just been lazy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you've been touring fairly hard for the past uh, seven or eight years or more, so you, you deserve a break. Well, it's it's, it's interesting because as I say, it's a it's a break from the road, but it's sometimes I feel you know the last year I don't think I've ever I've ever been so busy making no money. <laughs> well, it's like people when they retire from their job, you think, oh, I've got all this free time now, and then it's like, how did they manage to do a job before? Yeah, how did they have any time to go to work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that is a little bit what it's been like. And I mean, they say the devil makes work for idle hands. <laughs> but, um, you know, the devil hasn't had to have been quite capable myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And uh, I hope the gigs down our way do happen. And uh, fingers crossed I might be able to come along and see you, either at Liverpool or Manchester. That'd be great. And I look forward to the next release and delving into your catalogue as well. I've got to try and find that No More Mr Nice Guy. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> it might self-destruct before then. <laughs> well, oh, it's been great speaking to you, man. And you, sir. Uh, do take care, and hopefully we can do this again sometime. You too. Thanks, man. All right. And I hope you enjoyed that little interview there. And there will be more as we record more for the show. And we are going to delve into the archives and pull some of the old ones out as well. So plenty more to come. And of course, if you want to hear the whole show, there is always Listen Again. I'll see you next time. Take care.